Holy shit, Kate. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> typically deep, <laughs> typically deep. Not to, um, not to, not to instantly dumb down. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Hello and welcome to another episode of Battery Mates. I am Matthew coming live to you from London. I'm joined by Toby in Chicago. Hello. And Kate in Los Angeles. It's not 90 degrees yet, but it's gonna be on <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> we uh, we were high-fiving in the McGregor household this morning when I looked up on Dark Sky and it was gonna break 70 degrees. Everyone was over the moon about that i then had to translate it into celsius for mary who is is back on british temperatures i still i still can't i have to do fahrenheit still anyway <laughs> we are back with another episode of battery mates of the movies but i am sorry justin baraski we are not talking about major league this evening we are or whatever time you are listening to this we're going to be talking about uh, moneyball we were planning to talk, uh, watch major league when I logged on to the internet yesterday to watch Major League, I came up against something I've never experienced with a baseball movie or really any other movie, which is it, Major League is completely banned for streaming in the UK. There is a geoblock on Apple, on Netflix, on AMC, on um, uh, Amazon. It is literally not possible to watch Major League in the UK. So I have ordered the DVD and it I will mean, arrive in two is, weeks' time. Matthew, I think what happened was the, the powers that be in the UK heard about a film based on the success of the city of Cleveland and they thought <laughs> it would be cruel, surely, to allow our <laughs> citizens to believe in this possibility. <laughs> and, and maybe let's not. <laughs> it, it, I mean, something like that has happened because I've never come across this before. You, can, I can watch Major League Two. Uh, I, from from what I'm told, I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> say, same with Major League Three, um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I will, but I want to watch Major League One first. So we scrap Major League. That's going to be the next episode of Batch Mates of the Movies once the DVD has arrived and I've worked out how to change the region settings on my DVD player <laughs> to allow me to watch United States DVDs. Tonight we're talking about Moneyball, which was something we probably should have watched already. Um, Toby, give us a quick, for people that haven't watched it before, I mean, surely no one who would be listening to this podcast hasn't watched it before, but just give us a quick summary of the of the film. This is the lottery that's across states, multi, multiple balls, um, and it's often hundreds of million dollars at um, at stake. And so, no, I'm sorry, I have not seen this movie. Um, this not, no, I'm I. Uh, that's a joke. I'm. I need more coffee today. Um, so, Moneyball is the 2011 movie with uh, starring Brad Pitt, who is um, good looking. And was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Um, and there were a lot of Oscar nominations in this movie, right? And Kate, you yeah. can get that. Um, but oh, I should actually. This is this is a, based on the book by Michael Lewis. Is that correct? About the 2002 Oakland Athletics and their use of 
they, they basically changed the game of baseball. Uh, we all live um, or have lived in for the last decade and a half a basically the Oakland A's, uh, what Billy Bean and his um, front office did to kind of revolutionize the way we think about the game via stats and a good old on-base percentage. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically the movie. Um, they won a lot of games in a row that year. That that, that happened. Um, but Kate, I think you should probably give the rundown of what of what we really. Those of us who have seen the movie and haven't seen the movie, you can really tell us what this is about. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. At its core, I think it's about men discovering feminism, but we can get into that. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, feminism and hiring practices, I think, is what Moneyball is at its core about. But we can we can zoom back from that. Um, that's just a little preview of what's coming. Um, so actually, I really like this movie. Um, I think... It's interesting. I've seen it a few times now, but this is the first time I've ever really sat down with, I think, a little distance on it. I was very excited when this movie came out because I had read the book. I'm a big fan of the book. Actually, my first screenplay that I ever wrote in graduate school was um, a romantic comedy about a woman saber metrics blogger and a ailing Major League Baseball player who fall in love um, <laughs> using safer metrics revive his flagging career. Um, so I was like so pumped. Uh, yeah, I, I can't How does that, that not come up here? That. How does that not come up before? That's incredible. <laughs> it was called Slump Busters and it was awesome um, and, and hard to believe it's not a movie already. Um, but uh, so this movie I... I remember at the time when it came out feeling a little disappointed that it was an entire film about sabermetrics that managed not to use the word sabermetrics. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember sort of being like, I feel like the movie missed the point of what the the whole thing is that made the story so interesting to me when I read it in the book form. Um, but watching it Today, I think that I had fallen victim to a thing that happens to a lot of people who love a book and then are let down by the adaptation is that it can be really hard to separate the movie from the book and like look at the movie as its own thing um, and judge it on its own merits rather than compared to the book that you loved. And I sort of think on its own merits, this movie really stands up. Um, and what they were trying to do was make this kind of really emotional journey of the bravery of Billy Bean kind of putting his whole career on the line for this really sort of theoretical and untested philosophy and they sort of grounded why he makes this decision and the emotions of his own backstory and the decision to stay in Oakland and why the team in California and his family, why it all means so much to him. And it's a really, it's a nice emotional journey that they take us on. Um, and sort of, I think in my head, I maybe still mourn the version of the adaptation that perhaps I would have written if they had offered me the job instead of Academy <laughs> Award winners Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, um, which is, I feel like it could have really worked as sort of more of a big short-esque 
movie where we really got to like have a little more fun, be a little more fast paced and learn a lot more about mm. sort of the ins and outs in the history of sabermetrics um, and more than just Bill James and more than just sort of fake amalgam character, Peter Brandt. Um, but uh, I did, I did really enjoy watching the movie this time and the emotional beats really landed for me. And I thought, I thought it was good. What do you guys think? Uh, Toby, you want to go or shall I? Um, yeah, go for it. Um, I've, I've watched this, I've watched this film quite a few times because, um, it was on the British Airways films on a plane reel that, I don't know what the, what that is called, on the, on the movie library on the plane. And, um, this came out in 2011 and between 2013 and 2016, I was flying across the Atlantic, um, around uh twice a month so uh, well there and back so one trip a month so anyway it means that i watched this film multiple times um about four or five years ago and then haven't watched it again since uh then to today and i, I in my mind in my mind it was kind of watching on a plane i was you know eating or doing work while it was on and it kind of it wasn't there wasn't a lot of there there it's quite slow and everything else so i wasn't expecting very much when i watched it today is what i'm saying watching it today i was emotional about baseball in a way that i haven't been since this whole coronavirus shutdown the bit at the beginning where uh, brad pitt's character billy bean is sat in the coliseum kind of flicking the radio on and off uh, while the A's lose the ALDS in whatever year that was. This was before I was interested in baseball, so it's all, like, just before baseball to me. So anyway, that whatever that year that was, sitting in that in that um, empty stadium, flicking it on and off, and he's kind of, like, going through the pain of, of loss, I was just watching that physically aching to be in a baseball <laughs> stadium again. I've, I've kind of kept, uh, I've kind of d- handled not having baseball by watching lots and lots of video from the postseason last year, which there's lots of it for the nationals and it is all great. So that's kind of kept me going. But today watching Moneyball, that first opening scene, I've, I just was, in, in agony about wanting to be in a baseball stadium and the rest of the movie kept up with that kind of emotional start and um i just I just thought it was really fantastic it is it is quite slow moving but it, it, it's kind of like three different topics in in one movie you've got the kind of you is it's a baseball movie like there's there's baseball happening and they're going through their season and and, and everything else. So it's got that, and that's what we've been watching. All the movies we watched in the past, are, they're all baseball movies. It's also a kind of a, a quite a political, organisational politics movie. Mm. There's the fighting that goes on within the organisation about uh, what direction they're going to go in, and the, the the politics of managing the the owner and and everything else. And then it's also this kind of like slightly comedic buddy movie between uh, <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Um, who I just I just love in this film, Peter Brand, the kind of analytics guy, uh, is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I, I I just I just loved the, I just really really enjoyed it. I thought it was all three of those different films were really fantastic, and there's so many individually good scenes that you kind of almost want to stop the scene at the end, rewind to the beginning, and just watch that scene again. So the kind of the Coliseum 
um, the, uh, the, 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 the scene where he's talking to David Justice about the Yankees still paying his salary, the, uh, the scene where, um, uh, uh, when they have to cut people, there's, there's multiple scenes like you just want to, it on its own just stands out as something to watch again. So anyway, I loved it. I loved it. I'm getting all emotional again. Oh, <laughs> Matthew, that's nice. <laughs> we really need baseball back. Um, uh, so I'll I'll be I this is only the second time I've seen this so I, I saw it uh, this is this came out in 2011 and I I, I think we were really busy um, if I remember correctly <laughs> then, I don't really remember when I saw this but I bet you I saw it in the run up to the Oscars um, that year because it was nominated for best picture and um, I try to see as many of them as I can I know I wouldn't have skipped this one but I think because I saw it in probably a rush. Um, I remember enjoying it. I remember liking it. I didn't remember anything else about the movie, um, uh, except for Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, who was, who was in and who was in it. I actually had forgotten that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in this movie, and I, I forgot that I, too. I was like, I seeing him in this movie, it made me remember how much I fucking miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, yeah. I really love him. Yeah. Um, and, and boy, so by the way, Bennett Miller, who directed this film directed Capote for which Philip Seymour Hoffman won his Oscar. Oh. So that is, I'm, I'm assuming that's why he was in this film because of the relationship with the director. Or Art Howe really comes off awful. This. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Toby, I interrupted you. No, 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 that's great. Um, no, I, I, I thought like, so th- I watched it. I was, <clears throat> my, my game plan was I'll watch a half of it before I fall asleep last night and then wake up and watch the second half with, with Ruby or when Ruby's down for a nap before we had to record. And I actually <laughs> stayed up till two 30 in the morning watching the whole thing because it was like kind of riveted. And I, I had forgotten how, you know, I, I, it should have occurred to me. This was nominated for Academy Award. It was a very good movie. <laughs> it was very well put together. Um, uh, my wife and I kept talking about the sound design. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> it's so like the chatter, like the, the, like the, like the sports, the commentators, the sports radio chatter going on kind of in the background of some of the, or some of the scenes throughout the movie, um, really did a, were just so, such an interesting decision and also like really helped drive some of the narrative and the anxiety and all that, that, that was going on in the background. While the rest of the movie felt to me like there was, there was a Friday Night Lights element to it with probably because oh, of the soundtrack. I don't yeah, think it was. the score at yeah. one point, it's when it was at the, I, I noted it, it was at the end of act one when they, um, the transition is, is Peter coming to work for Billy. That's the start mm-hmm. of act two, which is structurally when, all right, we've, we've accepted structurally. It's a very interesting movie. Anyway, we don't, we can get into that, but it's when, uh, the old banners they're taking down yeah. outside the stadium, they're taking down the Giambi and the Damon, all the banners are falling and this Friday night lights guitar comes in <laughs> and I wrote it down <laughs> like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> exactly. And some of the shots that are like, um, the last thing I, the very first scene is it also like a real like real footage from a baseball game, very similar to the way sixty one, uh, kind of started out, and I had this moment of like, oh god, is this going to be another like movie I'm going to be terribly disappointed about because, <laughs> I it, why are we seeing this old footage? But they did such a great job of incorporating real footage from baseball games, and fake footage. Um, I think it was IMDb trivia that had like the guy who played David Justice was actually a minor uh, actually came up in the Braves minor league system when David Justice was act, was on the team 
and they the players called his teammates called him Young Justice because he looks so much like David Justice, which is oh <laughs> hilarious. Um, but anyway, uh, I I really really enjoyed it, and um, you know, uh, it's a different movie. I was really excited to talk about Major League, but this is a, a different movie, and also very enjoyable for me. So, um, but I have more to say. I just I feel like, you know, that spit. Those cop, are man. good of you. Those are good overviews. Yeah. Yeah. So where? Oh, well, on the um, it's funny. A few weeks ago, when we watched Eight Men Out, and we talked about that cinematographer being Quentin Tarantino's cinematographer. This cinematographer, Wally Pfister, is uh, Christopher Nolan's cinematographer. Really? So he shot all of the the Dark Knight trilogy and wow. Inception. Um, so he did not do. Dunkirk, um, but obviously a very accomplished <laughs> cinematographer <laughs> here making baseball look very, very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and on your point on sort of the found footage, I found that when they were doing all those cuts to the commentators and stuff, I couldn't tell how much of it was scripted yeah. and how much of it was actual commentary sort of found footage. And I thought that was a real triumph both of the sound design as you mentioned in which they were nominated for an oscar for sound mixing um and or you know whether the screenwriting the directing i thought that that was just such a triumph that it it all felt so real that i couldn't tell if it was or not it's the first baseball movie we've watched where the quality of the baseball isn't a distraction it's an addition Mm-hmm. Like every every single baseball movie we've watched, where they've like tried to recreate a game, you've been like, yeah, yeah this isn't proper baseball. Whereas this movie, you, like you say, you literally couldn't tell whether it had been recreated or was archival or whatever else, and I, it really added. It really added, and I, you know, it's another reminder that radio calls are the highest form of enjoying baseball. Uh Boy, that's the truth. Yeah. I also thought I thought the um I thought they were really for it being as long of a movie as it was, they were really restrained in not showing too much footage of actual baseball games. Yeah. Um so and and by that I mean either found footage or recreated, you know, filming when they did the whole sequence of game twenty of the streak, I thought that was one of if not the most effective movie recreations of a baseball game I've ever seen in my life. I thought the way they set it up with Billy Bean's not going to go to the stadium. He doesn't want to jinx it, which who among us as fans have not had an experience like that. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin this if I watch it. And then the call from his daughter and he turns on the radio and it's 11 to nothing. And he pulls off the highway and the music swells. And then he gets to the stadium and they start losing. And it was, I thought it was agony watching that sequence. And I couldn't remember how it ended. I couldn't remember if they got the streak or didn't get the streak. And I was trying to figure it out from where we were structurally in the movie and what I knew happened at the end but I thought it was just genius the way they did it with the score and that like Hunger Games canon <laughs> drum beat there every time Kansas City scored a run Hattie comes up and he hits the home run and it's such a big ending of his emotional journey um, and I just thought that you know that game specifically and the way they filmed it uh, belongs in the pantheon of baseball cinema as one of the all-time greats yeah i really i really wanted uh hattie to you know when he got into the clubhouse just be like hey look at us 
Look at us. (laughs) (laughs) I thought one thing that I really liked, I really like it when there's a unity of like form and substance uh, in, in filmmaking or in any kind of artistic work. And I thought it was really cool to me that particularly with Jonah Hill and Chris Pratt, who were not big stars before this, film right at least in terms of dramatic acting right like Jonah Hill was like the super bad guy yeah. right and Chris Pratt was <laughs> Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec which like those are both great things to be but neither of them were really like this was before Guardians and then like Jonah Hill comes and gets an Oscar nomination for this movie and his performance is amazing in this movie and Chris Pratt comes and he has this emotional he is this empathy machine on camera that you just cannot help but be with him and root for him and he has so much gravitas and I thought it was so cool that the film kind of practiced what it preached in terms of going and finding performers who perhaps had been overlooked or undervalued perhaps in part because of the way that they looked and really showed how valuable that they could be to a film I thought that was really really nice that was that's a nice way to put that um, the Chris Pratt scene with David Justice is amazing too. Uh, Chris Pratt with uh, non-David Justice, Young Justice. Right. right with right. Uh, <laughs> what are you fear? What are you? What are you scared of? Protection. <laughs> uh, the the so um, the streak you mentioned. Um, I I would be I would be people will be upset if I don't remind Battery Mates Nation that um, the Oakland A's set a record in two thousand two for the most um, consecutive wins in the American League, in American League history, 20 games in a row, which was a record that lasted for 15 years until Cleveland beat it in 2017 by winning 22 in a row. Uh, and uh, I was, the the, the, <laughs> the fun uh, kind of parallel uh, parallelism here is that I um, was scheduled to go to Cleveland when they, they, they had won their 22nd in a row and I was supposed to go to the game that would have been their 24th in a row. And I was actually in the car driving to Cleveland with my friend Pete, uh, who was a Kansas City fan, as they would proceed to lose the what would have been the twenty third game. So I kind of felt like I jinxed it, kind of like Brad Pitt certainly <laughs> almost jinxed their their record. <laughs> so I was Brad Pitt for that Friday. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> sorry that you brought that shame upon the team that you love and, and all of its fans that must be hard to live with so i, I just want to share that um i i listened to a a review of this film on a on a british podcast like a a movie review podcast called uh, the netflixer um where some uk based uh, movie reviewers different films and about a year and a half ago they did Moneyball so I listened to it just to see what their perspective was and it was absolutely bananas they there was four of them on the on the um on the show and none of them knew anything about baseball so they were talking about this thing like you know like they've got all of this mathematical ideas about how you should you know not try and hit the ball, but just like foul four balls until you get to walk to first base. And I was like, "You're what are you talking about?" Uh, so they like it was really weird that they they didn't understand anything about baseball whatsoever. And and actually, just as an aside, it's probably the moment in the last two and a half years since I moved back from the US to live in the UK. It's probably the moment where I felt more American 
than any other moment in the last few years. Like listening to these British people talk about baseball, I've like had a very <laughs> deep sense within me of like I'm different to the the I'm different to you. Like I'm no longer just British. I am definitely very much a dual citizen. I haven't felt that American um, uh, in those two years. But anyway, the really interesting thing was, despite not understanding anything about the game of baseball whatsoever, they gave it really high marks. Um, they, they they scored it. I think they it ended up like they had a very, very complicated scoring system, way more complex than our balls system. But they ended up <laughs> giving it a 3.91. 3.91 out of 5, which I thought was incredible for a sports movie where you have absolutely no idea how the sport works. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is, that's at the core of sort of what I was talking about earlier, right? That for me, I found the movie perhaps disappointing the first time I watched it because I went to it, you know, as a lifelong baseball fan and specifically as a person who, you know, my dad had the Bill James Encyclopedia of Baseball and we would read it together when I was a kid, like someone who really loved and cared about this particular aspect of baseball. And do I think the film necessarily went as far as I think it could go in terms of really digging into the little details and illuminating how special this was? Maybe not, but I think what they were aiming to make, and when I watched the little featurette with sort of the producers and the various screenwriters, they really were wanting to tell a more universal story about kind of someone who is challenging the prevailing way of thinking. And it's sort of the way they were talking about a Malcolm Gladwell article, which I was like, I thought that that was a little bit of a cheesy way to think about it. But I do think that it creates a more universal appeal where you don't have to be a baseball fan in order to appreciate the story in the film. Yeah. Do you do you have a, um, a favorite scene, Kate? Is there like a particular moment in the film that really stood out for you? Um, I liked all the all the comedy, but I think I think it's it's got to be that game twenty, which I already talked. I think game twenty to me was just like chef's kiss, good. Another thing, as a Cleveland fan, that was bizarre the first time I saw it, um, and I had to go back and look last night uh, about the stats. But their obsession with getting Ricardo Rincon it was so bizarre <laughs> to me the first time I saw it because he's a, like a middling reliever. Like in my memory, he was like a left-handed reliever specialist that was pretty good, but. but Honestly, I only remember his name because of the alliteration. Um, it, and it's good. It is good consonants. Like, it is great. It really works. Yeah. Ricardo Rincon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, the, the, just the sheer like joy and triumph that they, they experience in that, on the trade deadline scene where that they're just great. like. I really like that one. And there's the, it's the gift. I mean, it's the Jonah, Jonah Hill gif with like the. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but it's so funny to me that it was about Ricardo Rincon. <laughs> but he did have a good season that year and the year before. I think he was worth more than, uh, you know, Fangrass had him at over a win above replacement. But still, this this has... <laughs> a, a, a whole win above whole, replacement? I think he was 1.7 that year. No wonder he's gone down in the history books. <laughs> I, there was, um, I, I also listened to uh, the podcast review of Moneyball on The Ringer with Bill Simmons and whoever, whoever the other person is on that goes on the ringer. No one ever knows who they are. Um, and, and they had like a whole bit about, about like this of like, well, that's not how trade negotiations work. And, you know, like some of the players weren't as good as they were making. And it was like, it, it 
doesn't matter. It really, it, I mean, like <clears throat> one of one of them had gone back and looked at exactly how the A season had gone, like as a whole. It's like who gives a shit? Like this isn't a movie about the Oakland Athletics 2002 season. They probably made like a season review DVD that you can go and buy on eBay if you want to like get a rundown of that season. Those details don't really matter that much. Um, I do think I love that trade deadline scene too. And I one of the notes that I made was sort of how much work they are doing to get you to love Billy Bean, the character. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, number one on the list, obviously, is that they have gotten Brad Pitt to play him, right? So they're like, what if we took, like, one of the most handsome, charismatic <laughs> actors that we have and cast him? They're like, okay, good, done. But we can do more. And so one of the main things they're doing um, in all of the setup scenes where you meet him is they're surrounding him they are pitting him against people that are easy to hate which is a real it's a sort of trick that you get a lot which you know anytime he's trying to make you root for a character they you put that character up against uh someone who's like you know being stupid and pronouncing a name wrong or like not understanding a basic thing but it was like the in the beginning it was like okay billy beans up against all these scouts who are saying these just like horrifically sexist, appalling <laughs> things, you know, they, they put him up against the New York Yankees, which need I say more, you know, an owner who won't give enough money. They're like doing all of this work to make you see like, oh, Billy Bean, it's just him against the whole world. And then also with, you know, to that trade deadline scene to several other scenes, they're, they're showing you how smart he is. And that's like a universal thing about characters. Like, if you think about a character like a Don Draper or a Walter White, right? We can watch characters who are doing terrible things, and you know whether that's you know cheating on someone or trading for a middling reliever, or whatever the thing might be. But if the person who's doing those things is doing it in a really smart, exciting way that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do, it's always going to be so much fun to watch. Um, so I thought they did a really great job, sort of throwing all the tricks in the book um, at making you love Billy. And they did kind of the exact opposite for Art Howe, who mm-hmm. was made to look like an absolute dick. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was reading reading up a little bit, and uh, I was utterly, utterly, utterly non-shocked, or whatever, the unshocked, dis-shocked to read <laughs> that um, uh, he, he was apparently um, uh, uh, unhappy with his uh, portrayal. Uh, <laughs> House stated that he was unhappy with his portrayal in both the film and the Michael Lewis book it was based on, in which Howe was portrayed as a stubborn traditionalist who refused to bow to uh, to follow Bean's plans and a figurehead who acquiesced while Bean ran the A's from the clubhouse. Uh, I mean, the the only the only thing like I would be very unhappy if I was him. I don't know any details of of how he was as a manager. Uh, he had other teams that he was um, manager for. He can't have sucked that badly. But uh, the only thing about him is I went and looked um, him up on um, uh, sort of pictures, and he he looks in his 1985 Cardinals photo like a really skinny Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. It's it's really it's really really odd. He I mean he doesn't look like the portrayal in the film, but in 1985 he was a skinny. Hoffman, I, that's really weird to me. 
I mean, I thought it was amazing cast. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman brought so much to every role he ever played. And it was just that one line when he says, I'm managing this team in a way that I can defend in job <laughs> interviews next winter. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, yeah, you can't argue with that, man. That's <laughs> yeah, really yeah. great logic. And like, I, I can't for all that I'm like, you're a dick, you're holding back. And it's like, He's got a guy on his team who's going to be an all-star. What are you going to do? You're going to bench your all-star player? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I thought the way he played that role was just like really subtle and really empathetic, and um, yeah. you know what what a giant of an actor. That's up uh, in, in, in amongst fierce competition. That's that's up there for my favorite scenes of the of the whole film because Bean's character Billy Bean is 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 trying so hard to be restrained, but you can just sort of feel. Uh, Brad Pittman sort of like just pulling at the leash like desperate to just like rip his head off uh, with frustration but he's like really really trying to you know uh, uh, soft pedal the whole thing that line from um, Art Howe's character and then as he leaves as he leaves the room Brad Pitt saying great great to have these conversations every time we talk I'm I'm filled with a renewed love of the game of baseball <laughs> This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by Yoplait Gogurt. It's great on the go. But now try Gogurt Stay at Home Edition. Simply tear off the top and squeeze the whole package into a bowl. Spoons optional. Yoplait would like to thank all of you for doing your part to flatten the curve. Just keep flattening the yogurt tube while you're at it. Yoplait Gogurt. So the the last thing I've got written down. So after this, I've got nothing else to say. Uh, the last thing I've got written down, uh, Kate, we've learned over these conversations. I don't know anything about filmmaking, and the one thing from the film that I was like, "Is this good? Is this terrible? What are they trying to do here?" Is the whole thing with his daughter, like what 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 is going on there? I mean, it seemed like perfectly nice, but it just sort of sets it set aside from the rest of the film a little bit for me. Yeah. So I agree with you. Um, and I think, you know, the main thing they were trying to do is justify his decision mm -hmm. at the end of the film to stay in Oakland rather than go to uh, Boston for, you know, that record-breaking $12.5 million. And by the way, keeping that on the piece of paper and never showing it. And it's a that's a screenwriting technique called indirection, where you don't show the thing to the audience. Um, and Aaron Sorkin loves it more than his mom, probably, because he <laughs> uses it constantly. Um, but effectively deployed here, I thought, um, if, if a little heavy-handed, perhaps. But I thought the moment where he's having the conversation with um, where Billy and Peter are having the conversation at the end where Peter says uh, a classic line from Hillary for America emails. It's not about the money. Um, <laughs> it's, about, it's about what the money stands for. Um, and, and what I thought, it, you know, what's beautiful about that is sort of for all, this is a, this is a whole movie about money. Right. It's a whole movie about how the Oakland A's have far, far, far less money than the New York Yankees. And they need to figure out how they're going to compete with all this less money um, and what the character comes to learn um, in a film supposedly all about money is that indeed it is not about money. It is about, you know, these baseball players who people were not valuing having an opportunity to play the game that they love and to win the game that they love. It's about, you know, making a decision to stay close to your daughter rather than a decision to prioritize 
your career. And it's about, you know, the decision that Billy Bean made as a teenager to go and play baseball for the Mets, by the way, which as soon as, you know, I remember as soon as I see that it's the Mets scout, I'm like, don't do it, Billy. <laughs> you know, it isn't going to end well. Oh, uh, go to Stanford, take the scholarship. But um yeah, that I thought that that was the sort of the through line of the and the sort of thematic resonance of the film is that, you know, for all these things that can feel petty about money and win columns and statistics and everything else, that it's actually about people and the way that we value each other and the way that we prioritize each other, which is nice. It's nice. It's a nice lesson. I, I, so when I was, um, in the scene with John Henry or the owner of the Red Sox and, you know, he's making a big offer and all that. And I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, I know he doesn't take the job, but now I'm, why doesn't he take this job? I don't get it. And then I'm, I, it dawned on me. like, Oh, they set, set up this whole him and his relationship with his daughter as like the, the reason he doesn't take the job, which I, you know, I, I it makes sense at the end. And I, it was, it's, you know, it's very nice. Um, but I, I do, I, I wonder, um, that this story, his, his story and Billy Bean's story and how he has still not ever, um, I don't think they've made it to the World Series, right? Um, the A's haven't made it to the World Series since 2002 or in the, since no. 1990, 1989, whatever it last was. Um, I, you know, that is somewhat a little bit more like, there's a tragic element to that, right? That they only kind of give you in the, um, the epilogue at the end there. Um, that he's he's still waiting to win that last game. Now I meant to look this up before the for, for the show, but did he ever win when he was on one of those A's teams in the late eighties? Did they ever win a World Series with him on it? I should know this. Um, I don't know. Hold tight. But uh, yeah, I mean, because Theo Epstein, right, is, is the the person who got the job. Right. And he was also, you know, a student of sabermetrics. Mm -hmm. And that was actually one of the things I thought was interesting when I was um, watching sort of some interviews with various folks. And Michael Lewis, who wrote the book, said kind of the tragedy of this story is that the success of Billy Bean and the Oakland A's means that all teams, not just in baseball, but in all of Sports are now using some version of this more objective analysis. And so the advantage is gone, right? So now it's the Oakland A's using sabermetrics with their small budget versus the New York Yankees also using sabermetrics with, by the way, a gigantic budget so that they can, you know, recruit the most effective minor leaguers and spend a bajillion dollars on whoever <laughs> they'd like to pick off from other teams, right? So that yeah. this story yeah. that unfolded in 2002 is not something that can be replicated now um, unless you know, there's a, they said there's no intellectual advantage to be found. And that was where I disagreed um, because we can get back to my uh, original scorching take about how this film is actually about feminism um, and also about the New York Mets hiring Jessica Mendoza to come work in their front office, uh, which was, I, I believe, I might, I might be wrong about this, but I remember reading it was the first time uh, that any major league team had hired a woman as a major player in the front office. And it seemed, and I remember it, time I was listening to um, the podcast, which is Joe Posnanski, the sports writer, and Mike Schur, who created Parks and Rec and um, other shows, um, talking about it and just talking about the absolute idiocy that, you know, all of these major sports teams have sort of 
cast aside the intellectual and strategic value that any woman, human with a brain might bring uh, to sports uh, at all. And it as as they were talking about that, and I was thinking about this, they were talking about sort of the idea that before Billy Bean and before sabermetrics sort of became more ubiquitous in baseball, that they were making hires based on potential um, rather than sort of previous experience. And I was like, oh, that's like men and women in in hiring and in elections <laughs> and in everything else, right? <laughs> that that when men are going for promotions or going for new jobs, this is like a well-documented phenomenon that they tend to get those jobs based it is believed that they are going to be able to do. Whereas when women get promotions or, or new jobs, it tends to be based on experience and based on what they have already done. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure someone has studied this and can say it with more authority than I can, but it seems quite obvious to me that this is the reason that most studies tend to show that women are better CEOs and women are better at leading countries. And I don't necessarily think it's that women are intrinsically smarter or better, though we can get into that on another podcast, I guess. Um, but but that, you know, when women get these jobs, it tends to be because they have demonstrated through experience that they are capable of doing them because no one wants to take a chance um, on a woman in the same way that they would on a man. And I thought that this was a remarkably strong parallel to the way that baseball players were being evaluated uh, in this film. So though we did not meet a female character, not counting Suzanne and Scott Hatterberg's wife, um, until 40 minutes into the film, which is when Robin Wright shows up, um, I thought that uh, that it was actually a, a really strong parallel for sort of uh, feminism and hiring and electing women and why we should do more of looking at people's experience rather than some imagined idea of their potential based on nothing. Holy shit, Kate. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> Typically deep. <laughs> Typically deep. Not to um, not to not to instantly dumb down. Um, <laughs> but the the the, um, the 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 guy playing um, Robin Wright's husband um, was very funny. <laughs> That, like, was like, that was the classic Sorkin move of he can't he he calls Jason or Jason Giambi G- Giambani. Um, Giambani. That was like that, that was like ah Sorkin, I see you, my friend. I see you. <laughs> that that's Spike Jones, right? Is it really? I believe so. I think I looked in. I mean, I was I was looking at the IMDb last night at two in the morning, so I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't so know I, I, I uh, just to update. Yep, you are. Totally right. That's very funny. Isn't that weird? Uh, um, one quick uh, to call back to the I, my research team finally got back to me here. Um, Billy Bean was on the 1989 Athletics that won the World Series, but he was not on the playoff roster. So, but he would have gotten a ring. But uh, he would, I'm sure he doesn't count that. Um, so, if you're worried about uh, Billy, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I was in the trivia on the IMDb is that I didn't know Steven Soderbergh was like the original director of this and that he had already filmed like several interviews with like Daryl Strawberry and various players who played with Billy Bean. And so I have no idea what movie Steven Soderbergh was making, but uh, it sounds a lot different (laughs) and maybe probably not as good. I mean, who, I mean, Steven Soderbergh loves his experimental filmmaking and you never... I mean, I love him. He's one of my favorite directors. And like, sometimes it's like, sometimes it's going to be Ocean's Eleven and sometimes it's going to be Magic Mike, which by the way, fact for all the Battery Mates movie watching viewers out there, you don't want Magic 
Mike, what you want is Magic Mike XXL, a far superior film. Um, <laughs> that's my recommendation to all of you in quarantine right now. Watch Magic Mike XXL, the greatest film in history. Is there a um, baseball tie in there? Can we cover that? Is there? Um, I mean, it's about a bunch of guys on a road trip. Maybe. <laughs> do, really... do they watch baseball at any point? I think Succession is probably still our stronger tie-in. But... <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's 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 put some scores on the doors. Um, Toby, you go first. How many how many balls are you giving this? Um, I'm going to give this. Wait, what? Yeah. Are we out of four or out of five? I can never remember. <laughs> out of five. Out of five, out of five. Okay. and zero point five is the lowest you can go. Yeah. I don't know why I asked. Wow, that. Are, you, are you are you, you teeing <laughs> this up for? Um, I'm going to give this four four balls. I really I really enjoyed this one, and I don't know why I'm a hard. It would be hard for me to get to uh, five. Maybe maybe I'll go four and a half. Four and a half balls out of five for me. I, I really enjoyed this one. Wow. Yeah. Big big moves. Okay. Um, I am also, I'm going to give this four balls, uh, partly because I really enjoyed the movie and partly because, uh, if any film deserves the value of a walk, it is Moneyball. Um, I, I would, I would probably in normal circumstances go with four out of five. Um, it's, it's a very, very, very good film. It, it, it can be a little slow in places, um, but it is, it's, it's a very high quality I'm actually going to go 4.5, just because uh, of the um, uh, the emotion that I felt uh, desperately wanting to be in a baseball stadium again in those scenes. Um, and now I think it's actually one of my lifetime ambitions is to be able to sit in a in a in a closed baseball stadium. Um, I, we got we got fairly close when Toby and I were in uh, uh, Miami <laughs> to watch the Marlins play the Washington Nationals, and the, uh, we persuaded the the the, the t- uh, you know the uh, whoever was at the escalators to let us go up into the unopened third tier. It was like completely uh, closed, and we went and just sat up there. Uh, that was fun, but I would I would like to at some point before I die go and sit in a completely closed baseball stadium that was very very cool so 4.5 for me excellent awesome this lost to the artist uh in it did uh, at the academy award i don't remember the artist it was a silent film or it was a uh, play on silent films right yeah it was mostly silent yeah and i love that movie although i wonder how how well it holds up but um i do i love it and the worst guy i went to grad school with wrote a scathing facebook post (laughs) about how Moneyball should have won over the artist, and perhaps that has colored my impression of the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we'll, right. be, we'll so be we, back. Yeah, we'll be back in. We don't. We don't need to discuss what we're going to watch next. We know what we're going to watch next. Yeah, as soon really as the DVD <laughs> arrives from America, I will watch Major League. I really. We, we could have We could have had just had like a big out on a Zoom call, and I could put it on my TV, and you could just <laughs> watch it. <laughs> By the time we've watched it, uh, we might be able to go just a bit outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched the trailer for the film. I just thought I know that line. Uh, and that's a joke about the global pandemic that's keeping us all locked in our houses. 
uh, on that note, should we? Should we? Is that a wrap? Yeah, I think that was yeah. a great. Yeah, we, nice little, nice little app there we got. All right. Well, well in that I case, Toby, you, I can read you the three notes I had that we didn't get to, which is the <laughs> line where Billy Bean says, "There's the bottom, and then there's fifty feet of crap, and then us is blatantly stolen from Friends." Rachel says that when she hits rock bottom after her breakup with Ross, and I was Ooh. like, "Classic Sorkin stealing." line that he liked somebody <laughs> else uh i thought that it was impressive use of the female gaze to draw that much attention to brad pitt's mouth and i appreciated it however i thought they could have found a hotter use to play him when he was young and uh finally <laughs> i thought it was a nice detail that the song his daughter plays is called the show i thought mm. that was sweet very nice it's a lovely song as well yeah so wait he stole they stole a line for brad pitt from jennifer aniston Correct. <laughs> Holy Correct. shit. I know. Whoa. The Illuminati is real. That's insane. Okay, well, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't been well documented prior to this. We might have broken some news here. We might be in the tabloids. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, we should see if we can find audio of those two to do back, back to back. <laughs> We gotta find it. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do some digging, um, and then we'll, next episode we'll have uh, some more recap. But of course, by the next episode, you'll also see us um, probably in uh, Us Weekly and uh, various other coverage we get. Um, and when aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, Matthew, any uh, any any advice for the pandemic stricken out there? Uh, I don't know how it's uh, going in the United States, but in the UK, the the latest government advice is to go and shag those balls. Sounds fair. Can't, can't argue with the doctors. <laughs> <laughs>